What is up, everybody? This is the Daily Fantasy Hoopcast, and I'm your host, Jacob Gibbs. We're changing things up on you a bit here, going with an MLB DFS podcast with the season right around the corner. Uh, if you've listened to the pod during NBA season, you're familiar with my dude, Brett Oswalt, uh, but maybe not so much with our, our other guest today, and that is Mr. Jim Sanas, the uh, FSWA Baseball Article of the Year award winner. Jim, how the hell are you, man? I'm good, Jacob. We are pretty much into MLB season. I know we've already had one rain out. We've already got Salvador <laughs> Perez banged up. So no. it's kind of like NBA tank season, I guess. Like we got the <laughs> we got me changing lineups frantically and cursing at my computer. So it feels like March NBA season right now. I know. I made lineups like a day in advance. Thought that I was I was safe to go ahead and do that. I'm like, man, it's nice MLBs here, and now I have to go back and like swap Salvi out of all of these animal royals yeah. on top of all that. So yeah, not. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good start to the year. Ouch. Brett, Brett, how you doing, man? Great, man. Looking forward to the changeup. Uh, like you mentioned, kind of getting sick of the NBA tank grind. Uh, so, you know, something fresh, something new. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, this is traditionally a basketball podcast, but with NBA regular season coming to a close, uh, baseball right around the corner like we talked about, we're going to spend some time talking through some strategy, some game theory leading up to opening day on Thursday. I uh, couldn't think of anybody better to have on than Jim, who's been grinding out some excellent podcasts for the Number Fire Podcast Network. Jim, why don't you take us through just real quick and uh, familiarize people with the stuff you've dropped on the solo shot last week and where they can find all that killer content. Yeah, so it's just basically just trying to give people who haven't played MLB DFS before a really basic primer for what MLB DFS is. So essentially... We were sorting through what the salaries look like, what the rosters look like, specifically over on FanDuel, and then going into why you should stack. If you don't know what stacking is, that is using two players from the same team and, you know, pumping out some data from 2017 tournaments and cash games to show that you really should be stacking as much as you can in both formats, just kind of different formats or different strategies with the stacking i go with four player stacks as often as possible for tourneys for cash games it's normally a three three two format three guys from one team three from another and then two from the final team that's the way i tend to go in cash games as opposed to the the four four if i can for tournaments uh, we went through why i tend to pay up a pitcher again with some data behind that again uh courtesy of fanduel they were nice to send over some actual data from 2017 around that and paying up a pitcher is kind of like a cheat code, honestly, with uh, your expected point totals for that. We discussed park factors and weather, which are super important early this year because you're going to have a lot of games that are going to be a lot colder. Like if we're looking at the opening day early only slate, two of the games are in places where the temperature will be below 50 degrees. And that's much better for pitching than it is for offense. Hint, hint, you should use Noah Syndergaard probably if you're playing the early only slate, whereas down in Miami, it's 78 degrees, a lot more uh, a lot more friendly for offense, even though normally that is a pitcher-friendly park. Then we close up shop by talking about some advanced stats and splits. So basically just trying to give you the tools you need if you haven't played MLB DFS before, if you are a return player, just want like a refresher or to know kind of the process behind what goes into filling out a lineup? I think it was helpful for that, too. That was all up on the Number Fire Daily Fantasy podcast feed, which is uh, on pretty much most of the places where you can get podcasts. Awesome. Yes, definitely some really good stuff there. Um, I listened to it all in one day, which was really nice. Jim does a good job of keeping them quick to the point, but also including a lot of really useful information. So definitely go listen to that. If you're getting back in MLB mode or um, if you're just looking for refresher or if you are new to it, it's it's really useful information. Um 
All right, Jim, before we talk through a few uh, MLB DFS topics, give us a look at like what this season looks like for you. I know it's a really busy time. We've yeah. been pushing out so much content for Number Fire, whether that's writing or podcasting or whatever, on a daily basis. So like, tell us exactly what you're, you're doing this year. Yeah, so we have every weekday, we have a podcast called The Solo Shot, which is basically just me giving my thoughts on the slate. And that goes up every morning by around 9 o'clock up on numberfire.com or, again, that same Numberfire Daily Fantasy podcast feed. Go through pitchers, a couple of high-priced guys I like, and one low-priced guy. Begrudgingly, I will toss one out there, even if the data does say you should pay up more often than not. Uh, trying to find a low-priced guy with some strikeout upside. Then we'll look at stacks because, again, I think for hitters, it all revolves around stacks. So I don't want to go through individual batters if your process normally wouldn't do that. So it revolves around pitchers, stacks, which I think are kind of the two pillars for MLB DFS. And then just some things to watch, whether it be a lineup that could provide some value, maybe be some weather that's kind of funky for that day, or a pitcher I am fading, discussing the process on that, just trying to kind of expand on my thought process there. So basically we're just giving an overview of what my thoughts are for the slate and why I arrived at those conclusions. We also have weekly podcasts, myself and Brandon Gadula, my coworker over at number fire does a lot of awesome work, both at NBA and MLB NFL as well. Uh, we put up our first podcast today, looking at the humidor in Arizona, the Yankees lineup, the Brewers lineup, and all the off-season changes that will be impactful for MLB DFS. And again, that's in the same uh, number fire daily fantasy podcast feed. Oh, you got one up already. I got to go check that out. I missed that today. Yeah, the slate breakdown for open days up too for the main slate. So oh, we yeah. got we got a lot of stuff up today. Oh, my voice yeah. is my voice is a little dead. <laughs> That'll help me get my dishes done, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I listen to podcasts too. Is dishes and dinner. Those are the yeah. two times. <laughs> All right. So like the first big thing that I want to talk about today is just kind of the lineup changes on FanDuel. Um, they combined the catcher and first base position into one. So now you don't even have to play a catcher if you don't want to. Um, and also there's utility spot. Just some other stuff to talk about with, with stacking and everything, how that all impacts the game. So, Brett, why don't you just talk about like how impactful you think those changes are, how you think they may affect uh, game theory and tournaments, all that good stuff. Yeah, so I think mainly, like you said, it's going to um, change how we look at tournaments um, because catchers are going to become – more under-owned than you know you would expect them to be in and of their own position because a lot of people will be targeting uh, the big home run bats at first base, um, even guys that are you know even strikeout prone, but then can go off for uh, two home runs on any any given night. Uh, so I think catchers are, catchers will be under-owned. It's also to where you can then play two two catchers or two first basemen's. Um, I mean you could play two of uh, any. Uh, infield position with your utility spot but that utility spot does you know that's going to give you even more um, ways that you can go in tournaments and to differentiate your lineups um, for some upside um, but I'll let Jim talk a little bit about um, the catcher aspect of that because yeah. I know that he um is all about that contrarian life there. <laughs> yeah, I think that obviously on its face, it's like, okay, I don't have to worry about catcher anymore, which I understand. Catcher is super annoying, and it's just an awful position for fantasy. So I understand why you would want to avoid catcher, but everyone else is going to want to avoid catcher too. So not only can get a leg up by using a catcher, I think for opening day, Austin Barnes, assuming he's in the lineup, is a pretty attractive name for me because he is cheap. In a good lineup, got the platoon advantage over Ty Block. I think that he makes a lot of sense. 
But also, we're going to see times this year where a two-catcher lineup will win tournaments. <laughs> I can 100% guarantee you that it will happen at some point this year. I'm not going to actively try to get two catchers into lineups. Like That's not something I will seek out because the catcher position sucks. So I want to avoid that when I can. But at the end of the day, you can, like Brett said, get a leg up because those guys will carry lower ownership. There are some catchers, Gary Sanchez uh, specifically, and you know some other guys, Chris Iannetta out in Colorado, I think could be a really fun guy to use this year despite the catcher position. There are going to be catchers who have upside, and I don't want to ignore them just because they're a catcher. So I will have lineups, maybe not opening day, <laughs> but I will have lineups <laughs> this year where I used two catchers. I had planned on going a, a double one with uh, Salvador Perez and Austin Barnes, but rest in peace, Salvador Perez. I will get you in four to six weeks, apparently. Just uh, swap in Drew Butera, man. You'll be good. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Unless I get Drew Butera's relief points, because he's actually kind, he can kind of bring it on the mound. If I oh, yeah. get those, <laughs> if I get a little Shohei Otani treatment, then I might do it. All right, the next thing we're going to cover, uh, just a few players who find themselves in different situations. Um, Brett's going to highlight just a few of those those situations that are maybe flying under the radar on opening day um, but could play a big role in tournaments. So, Brett, you have a few guys in mind, right? Yeah, so I have three. Um, so three different positions, too, and we are going to start with that catcher-slash-first-base spot uh, with Yonder Alonzo, who is first baseman-slash-DH for the Cleveland Indians now. He was with Oakland and Seattle last year. Uh, he is going to be, it looks like he's going to be batting fifth, which he did a, a lot of last year uh, across the two teams, more so with uh, Oakland than he did Seattle. Uh, but over 200 plate appearances, he actually came up with the bases empty 56.5% of the time. Uh, he had runners in scoring position for 46 of those, so 23% of the time, so not even half as many as whenever he uh, was up with the bases empty. Uh, so for some reference, uh, the three top guys who batted fifth for Cleveland last year, Jose Ramirez, Jay Bruce, um, Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, while Bruce and Encarnacion have similar bases empty percentages there, uh, Ramirez was around 51%, and he had guys in uh, scoring position 27.6% of the time. And then Bruce and Encarnacion were around that same area in terms of runners in scoring position. So that's just a better place for, you know, running, uh, getting guys in on RBIs, getting those crucial points uh, for fantasy. Uh, and then just Alonzo has been on fire in spring training. He has seven dingers, three, uh, 375 batting average, and 444 on base percentage uh, and 56 at-bats this spring. So somebody to target for the year, but definitely somebody – to consider for opening day. Uh, how do you guys feel about some Alonzo? Yeah, I think with Yonder Alonzo, it's not just the change in offense for me because that's huge. It is huge to go from Oakland to Cleveland because they have so many table setters in that lineup who can get on base, but it's also the park because he's going from Oakland and Seattle out to Cleveland, and Cleveland is a very good hitter's park, not necessarily in the beginning part of the year. Like, if we had opening day games in Cleveland, there's not one there this year. Uh, we had one there and one in Oakland. I'd probably prefer Oakland because I'd assume it'd be warmer there. But over the course of the year, that's going to be a better park for Yonder Alonso. And he can really take advantage with that. You know, he had a 36% hard hit rate against righties last year, a 42% fly ball rate. And that includes a time towards the latter half of the year where he seemed like he was getting kind of, you know, worn down a bit. So I think 
if we get him fresh, like, like Brett said, this spring he's looked awesome. I think that Alonzo makes a lot of sense. The ballpark is a huge upgrade once the temperatures get a little bit warmer. But overall, just adding him, putting him into a better lineup, it's going to just change worlds for him. Yeah, I like that call a lot, Brad. He's only 500 above minimum, and I think even at that price, he might go a little bit overlooked just because people haven't caught quite on to how, how big of an upgrade that situation is. So he's definitely one of my favorite tournament targets. Who else you got for us? Yeah, so we'll move to the outfield. Uh, Lorenzo Kane, who is now with the Milwaukee Brewers uh, from a stint with the Kansas City Royals. Uh, so he's still probably going to be batting second, which he did a lot of last year. Um, he had 270 plate appearances from the two-hole, uh, 373 from the three-hole. So he spread out his um, time across those two different positions in the order. Uh, obviously, he had less fly balls from the two-spot, kind of hitting better uh, in terms of average and just getting on base better. Uh, his on-base percentage was uh, over 20 points higher, uh, while his isolated slugging was down 60 points from uh, the three spot to the two spot. And then just the guys ahead of him now in Milwaukee, well, guy ahead of him uh, in Christian Yelich, who's also a new face in Milwaukee. Uh, Whit Merrifield wasn't a bad guy uh, to be ahead of him when he was in, uh, whenever uh, Kane was in Kansas City. Uh, so he had a 299 on base percentage, 308 uh, Woba from uh, the one spot there. And Yelich is actually a little bit of an improvement, uh, 70 points higher in on-base percentage, uh, 40 points higher in uh, weighted on-base average. Um, and then he still has the same stealing ability, so he has the ability to get in scoring position for Kane, which is something that Whit, Whit Merrifield did a lot of as well. Um, what do you guys think? Is it a big upgrade, a little bit of an upgrade? Yeah, I think for Kane, you mentioned Whit Merrifield. Like, it was Whit Merrifield part of the year, but they also – because Ned Yost is no. – sorry, Jacob. Yeah. I don't mean to slander him, but he's the worst. But he put no, Alcides Escobar in leadoff. I absolutely lead agree with you. <laughs> it's, it's just the worst thing. Like I, I don't have anything against Alcides Escobar as a human, but I hate him because because <laughs> Ned Yost insisted on putting him leadoff. Thankfully, that's done, I think. So welcome, John Jay, I guess. It's, I don't know how much of an improvement that is. But you know, regardless, I think that that's big for Kane – but also going to Milwaukee, a place that loves to run. Everyone in that lineup has a ton of steel potential. That gives him a better floor. Like, if you're looking for home runs and he doesn't get one, like, let's say he gets walked, he still has a chance to get you some upside in that in that plate appearance because he can steal a base. So I like Kane there. And I think this is also a pretty big change for opposing pitchers because last year at times – I was okay using pitchers against Milwaukee because, yes, they hit the ball hard, and I thought they were a good offense, but they struck out a lot. And they will still strike out a decent amount this year, but when you put in Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain in place of Keon Broxton and Lewis Brinson, the strikeout rates there are going to change dramatically. So I don't intend to go at them with opposing pitchers anymore. I was totally cool with that last year, but – I think with these two guys, I really need to avoid. I don't really know where the upside is anymore. Yeah, I like that spot a lot more for, for Kane there. Goes to a better better stadium, better lineup altogether. Definitely a huge upgrade. I mean, it can't get much worse than having Elsie's Escobar batting leadoff. When I, <laughs> I saw it, dude, Yost had Escobar leading off on the first game this spring, and I was just I was ready to Oh, I saw that too. I, I think like, Witt was like batting sixth or something. I believe yeah. he was batting sixth, and I like my book. Blood pressure was immediately just <laughs> atrocious. <laughs> All right, who's your third guy here, Brett? 
Uh, so, uh, yeah, for the third guy, we're going to third base and a little bit down in the order we expect him to be for the Angels, and that's Zach Cozart uh, coming over from the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, he's at 3,000 on the opening day slate over at FanDuel. And like I said, he's at third base now. He was at shortstop with Cincinnati, I think, for the wide majority uh, of his reps on the field. And he batted second in in the wide majority, 423 plate appearances last year. Uh, but he did have a small sample size, around 25 plate appearances from the six hole. And he was drastically better, uh, higher uh, weighted runs created plus uh, three doubles, four RBIs, and a home run in those 25 plate appearances. Um, and then just this spring, he is absolutely mashing. Uh, 347 average, 407 on base percentage with four home runs, nine RBIs. So I think he is a great addition to the new look Angels and somebody that's going to be hitting sixth or seventh, like in that that good of an order with Mike Trout, yeah. you know, uh, Upton. Kinsler, I think he could see more at bats than we see usually from from a guy that hits down in that spot. Yeah, I think that's the key for Cozart is that he's in a really good lineup and a lineup that I, I think I would like to buy aggressively to start the year. I don't know. I don't think I'll have a lot of exposure to them on opening day because Kendall Graveman does a good job of keeping right handed batters in the ground. So maybe a Cole Calhoun share or two. But I think beyond that, this offense is really solid, and Cozart is a big part of that. If you look back to last year, looking at each team's active roster as it currently stands, which is something you can do on fan graphs, if you look at their active roster, they are eighth in hard hit rate against righties and second in fly ball rates. They're kind of this team that can just mash. It's not just Cozart. It's a full year of Justin Upton, too, which I think is going a bit overlooked as an addition to this team. Justin Upton's a really good player, and you put him around Mike Trout with Ian Kinsler, who's also there. I know he's banged up, too, but if you give me Ian Kinsler, Mike Trout, Justin Upton, Zach Cozart, ideally a healthy Albert Pujols, and Cole Calhoun, that's an offense that will score a lot of runs, and when they do that, they will give opportunities to Zach Cozart to drive in runs. And as he showed the last three years, he is a good enough hitter to take advantage of that. I know the park factor is a downgrade for him going to Los Angeles, but I think it's kind of a net negative because this offense is so or has the potential to be so good. Yeah, I like that a lot. Definitely uh, a team that people are going to sleep on a little bit early in the year, too, because of their season long numbers last year. So that's definitely a sharp call, something to keep an eye on early on in the year. All right. Awesome stuff, Brett. Thanks, man. To uh, to close it out here, we're going to highlight each uh, one of us our favorite starting pitchers for opening day on FanDuel, as well as a uh, one of our favorite stacks on opening day. So, Jim, I'll throw it to you first. Which pitcher are you really looking to lock into your lineups on opening day that's not named yeah, I think, <laughs> Yeah, I think it really depends on the format. Like, if it's cash games, it's between Kershaw and Kluber for me. So uh, it's kind of a toss-up between those two. I prefer Kershaw and cash, but I would be okay if you wanted to go Kluber. But for tournaments, I really lean towards Chris Sale pretty heavily towards Chris Sale. Uh, part of the reason I don't want to go there in cash is I'm kind of worried about his hip. He got hit in the hip with a line drive from J.D. Davis, who will mash some dingers this year for Houston. Guaranteed that. Uh, so that would not feel good to get hit by a line drive off the bat of J.D. Davis. But he had a bullpen session earlier this week, and apparently he threw pretty hard in that. So it sounds like he should have a pretty full leash for this opening day start. And assuming that we don't hear beforehand that he has a pitch count, 
I think his upside is just stupid because you look at the active roster for Tampa Bay last year, just the guys on their roster right now, they had a 24% strikeout rate against lefties. Whereas Corey Kluber facing the Mariners, they were at 19.5%. Clayton Kershaw facing the Giants, they were 18.4%. That's a huge difference to have sales opposing lineup be five percentage points higher in strikeout rate than those guys. And also sale just strikes a lot of guys out. He had a 36% strikeout rate last year, 2.58 skill interactive ERA, a low walk rate, didn't allow a lot of hard contact. And he was better on the road from a strikeout rate perspective. He struck out 38% of his opponents on the road last year, which is like incomprehensible. (laughs) So you put him down in Tampa Bay against an offense that has shed as many assets as possible and they still have some high strikeout guys there. I think the upside for Sale is such that I need him in tournaments. I'm okay missing out in cash but because I think that Kluber and Kershaw provide the same amount of safety, more safety, and you know respectable ceilings too. So I'll go to those two in cash. But for tournaments, I want as much Chris Sale exposure as I can get. Yeah, I like that call a lot. I think he'll go over a little bit overlooked because of the hip issue like you talked about. Um, so definitely somebody to target. In tournaments, and honestly, like with the pricing the way it is for this slate, with some of the stacks we'll get to later, it's pretty easy to fit in some of these top price pitchers. Like it really is not difficult to fit in sale. Yeah. Like I, I'm loving him a lot on opening day. I, I've got a lineup with sale that has 900 on the table, and I like I'll tweak it later, but like I don't feel bad about the lineup as it currently is. Yeah, for sure. All right, who you got, Brett? Yeah, I'm actually I'm sticking with paying up and going with Kluber uh, versus the Mariners. Uh, because, well, first of all, you know, Seattle is a much better uh, pitcher-friendly park rather than, than Cleveland in terms of, like, park factor. Um, so Seattle was bottom 10 in both runs and RBI and park factor uh, last season. Uh, also, you're going to have the, the wind blowing in so long as they keep the roof uh, open here. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out i mean the wind's blowing in according to uh number fires lineups page that you can check out all that fun stuff at uh with the temperature and everything uh the humidity uh might be up a little bit but other than that i think it's a good uh weather situation for kluber and then i mean seattle has some good lefties in their lineup but kluber still kills them uh 31.3 percent strikeout rate 2.89 fit versus lefties last season and then he's been better on the road against lefties too so like like I said, with the ballpark in Cleveland, it's a little more hitter-friendly. Uh, so he's been better against lefties on the road with a, a lower walk rate and a higher uh, strikeout rate at uh, 32.8%. Uh, and then I think he's going to be more contrarian, so it might be more of a tournament play just with Seattle being a respectable offense. Uh, and then, like Jim said, I mean, we have Clayton Kershaw and other big-name guys out there in, in similarly good matchups, if not better. Um, so... That's where I'm going to be going with Kluber and looking to get an advantage in tournaments. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Kluber, Jim? More yeah, cash I think game option. I think he's both uh, cash games and tournaments yeah. for me. I think if I'm ranking them, I go Kershaw one in cash, Kluber two, Sale three. But for tournaments, it's the exact opposite, where it's Sale one, Kluber two, Clay, or Kershaw three. So I will have exposure to Kluber, but it will be significantly less exposure than what I have to Sale. I think he's he's the guy who is most respectable in both formats. I worry about the upside with Kershaw because the Giants tend to avoid strikeouts against lefties, especially mm-hmm. with uh, McCutcheon and Longoria there. So that's why I worry about Kershaw in tournaments. But I think Kluber doesn't really have the upside concerns. I think his floor is pretty respectable. So I definitely will have exposure, just, again, a little bit less in sale. 
Yeah, for sure. I like both those guys a lot. Um, so I'm going to change things up a little bit. I know, Jim, you are not a, uh, a big fan of paying down a pitcher. And <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if there's a need to on this slate either because we've talked about like, there's a ton of value um, among the hitters. But I'm going with Patrick Corbin, who is like $5,000 below some of the top price guys here. Um, going with, with the Humidor, man, like in the Humidor we trust all day. Uh, <laughs> He, he had a pretty pretty strong year last year compared to uh, what we'd seen from him the past few, dealing with injuries and all that. Was able to throw 190 innings, gets the opening day start, gets a home matchup against Colorado, and I think his ownership's going to be way, way down with all the aces on this slate. People aren't going to want to pay nothing for Corbin against a Rockies lineup that's pretty well-respected, um, especially in Arizona that I don't know if people are quite catching on to the humidor factor yet. Um, so I think his ownership will be way down. So it's just, if you're looking for a contrarian play, a way to differentiate your lineups, I think you go with him and go with your favorite, like, expensive stack, and that'll just, it's kind of a game theory play more than anything for uh, for large field tournaments. Um, he was much better at home last year, had a 3.15 ERA as opposed to 509 on the road. Um, I think that could be even better this year, or about the same with the Humidor now in Arizona. Um, Colorado is much worse on the road, obviously. Um, they were 24th in Woba on the road. They had the fifth highest strikeout rate of all teams on the road. And they hit righties worse than lefties, too. So I, uh, I'm not in love with Corbin. I don't think I'm going to have a ton of him. But, like, if you want a cheap contrarian play that has upside, I think it's Corbin because he does have strikeout upside. And uh, that's that's important when you're when you're paying down. Uh, he pitched 13 innings against Colorado at home last year, gave just one run and six hits and piled up 13 strikeouts in those games. So... I like him if you, if you just want to change things up a little bit, but um, overall, I think you're probably your optimal line of construction is going to be with one of those top price pitchers in it. Yeah, I think the good thing with Corbin is that he does actually kind of, for his price especially, bring a blend of floor and upside because the floor comes from the fact that he doesn't allow a ton of hard contact. Part of that's aided by the humidor, but also last year, even without the humidor, he had a 49% ground ball rate, a 29% hard hit rate. And those are respectable numbers to give you a pretty solid floor. And then he has upside. Like you mentioned, he throws his slider a ton and it's a good pitch, which helps him rack up. Uh, if we go from uh, the start of July on last year, he had a 12% swinging strike rate, a 24% strikeout rate. That can get a lot done against the Rockies lineup that does strike out a bit against lefties. So I think Corbin's a fine play for the lower price range. He's 6,400, and like that gets you George Springer, gets you Jose Altuve, gets you Carlos Correa, gets you all these high-priced bats that I can only get sprinkles of. Whereas you can probably just you know stack Dodgers, stack Astros, and not worry about pricing. Yeah, that's that's why I like it so much. Is I think people are gonna get maybe like one or two of those guys here and there because the pricing is a little bit a so- little bit soft. But um, having like three or four of those high-priced guys from the same lineup is going to be really contrarian. It's a way to differentiate your lineups. So, yeah. Um, all right, we'll we'll start with our stacks then. Who are you looking to stack? Um, I, I think you were on the Royals. Are you still going to Kansas City with Salvi out? Yeah, begrudgingly. Uh, filling out lineups tonight, it's been harder without Salvador Perez uh, because he was so cheap at 2500 2600 and now i essentially pay up for my boy hard hit whit merrifield like that's fine i can deal with that um but it is a little bit of a buzzkill as opposed to having perez but i do think that in the royals you do get a lot of appeal because they're facing james shields who was a lot better over the last two months of last year he upped his strike area to 24 percent the walker was still high and he allowed a lot of fly balls and that's why i'm still here but the concern initially would have been strikeouts 
But if you dig deeper into what he did last year in that stretch, you never really saw a big change in his repertoire. And when I don't see a change in his pitch mix, the velocity didn't really spike either. I'm really skeptical that this is a legitimate change. And if you had given me first half James Shields against this lineup, I would have said, okay, you know, the Royals are going to be awful this year. Like they're going to be a terrible offense, but they'll be cheap. They'll be lower owned than they should be in this matchup. And I like that a lot. And I think that I'm viewing Shields kind of in that fashion where I'm not sure I'm buying in. And if you give me, you know, double dong Duda, Lucas Duda for 2,500, I'm not going to turn it down. Uh, Jorge Soler had a really good spring. He's 2,200. Batting sixth, I was kind of hoping he'd slide up into fifth uh, with Salvador Perez out, but he will bat sixth. That's fine. If you want to go Chesler Cuthbert or John Jay, you can. They're both mid-price. I'm not really into it. Um, I think there are some lower-priced guys like Matt Kemp who I like more and have similar or much higher upside. Uh, so I'm probably not going to go with Cuthbert or Jay too often, but I think a stack of Merrifield, Mustakis, Duda, and Soler is definitely okay with me, even though it is a bummer that Perez won't be in there. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, I'm never going to say no to a Royal stack. <laughs> <laughs> I think it makes a lot of sense on opening day, and I think it's one that people aren't going to have a ton of exposure to either. All right, who, who are you looking to stack, Brett? Yeah, I am going with the Twins uh, against Dylan Bundy in the Orioles uh, in Baltimore. So that's the that's the first game on the the main slate at three o'clock. The weather's looking a little bit better than it even was before for you know this time of year in Baltimore. Uh, should be around like 65 degrees. Uh, the wind's supposed to be blowing out, and the humidity's supposed to be up. So it's it's going to be a little bit better than most of what you're going to see from at least the games that are on the east east coast and in that area of the country for opening day. Uh, and then just the ballpark again, um, the uh, the Orioles park is down four spots in terms of runs from the Twins home park of Target Field, but it's actually three spots higher and third overall in terms of park factor for home runs. Uh, so we get some upside there, home run upside, and that's always good with uh, guys like Brian Dozier and company. Uh, uh, Dozier, though, is the only guy above 3,500 for the Twins, so you can get some cheap exposure to this stack um, in building your lineups. It's pretty easy to fit some guys in that are below 3K. Um, and we've actually had the Twins come out with their opening day lineup. And so you're going to get Dozier first. But then as you go down the lineup, uh, Eddie Rosario is batting fourth, and he's at 2,600. Logan Morrison, who's new to the team, uh, he'll be batting fifth, and he's 2,500. And then Eduardo Escobar, who's stepping in for uh, – Jorge Polanco, um, he is batting sixth, and he's all the way down at 2,200. Uh, I'd originally expected him to be batting a little bit further down, so he is somebody that I'll be targeting uh, for sure, and I'll be targeting the lefty bats over the righty bats, obviously, but uh, Brian Dozier has some good numbers against righties as well, so overall, it's a pretty good stack. Um, just looking at the team alone, uh, Dylan Bundy's also a guy who... Um, his strikeouts were down at home last season. His fly balls were up. Um, he didn't get a lot. Uh, he had 11 strikeouts in 12 innings against the Twins uh, last year, but he had eight walks, one home run, four extra base hits. So I just think it's an overall uh, good spot to be targeting for opening day. Yeah, I uh, I definitely like them. I'm going to get a lot of Lomo for sure. Um, I had Dozier as like standalone in a few like double stacks that I had built, um, and most of those had 
had Salvi in him, so I'm probably going to have to pivot <laughs> off of him there, which is unfortunate. But I, I like that stack a lot. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I like it too. And it's I think that Brett nailed the three guys I like here, mostly for a mini stack with the Twins because I – I like Bundy as a pitcher maybe more than some do because last year in the second half, his strikeout rate spiked. But even when you look at his second half splits, when he's facing lefties, his strike area is 25%. That's higher than I like to target. But he also allowed a 43% hard hit rate to lefties and a 49% fly ball rate. So if you give me Rosario, Morrison, and Escobar, three cheap guys batting four, five, six. I love that for tournaments. I don't think I'll go any righties for this team just because I do respect Bundy's ability to get strikeouts against righties. But those three guys specifically, I will run it back with the, with the Orioles. Too. I know game stacks aren't a thing for MLB, but like if you go twins lefties and Orioles righties against Jake Odorizzi and his changeup, you'll be sitting pretty. So I think this game in general is pretty fun, but specifically the twins lefties are enticing from an upside perspective. The floor, not quite there, but for tournaments, totally in. Absolutely. All right. The uh, the Dodgers are standing out as my favorite stack pretty easily, um, which is saying something that it's not the Royals. Um, this pricing had to have come out like after the Bumgarner news, right? Because it, yeah, it was there, before. Um, so the pricing oh, yeah, was out right. like March 17th or so, somewhere around there. And I think Mad Bum got hurt <laughs> on Saturday. So it was well before then. And you can definitely tell, which I'm fine with. Yeah. Yeah, no complaints. absolutely. Like. These guys are, are well under 4K. Some of them like Matt Kemp's right around minimum price. Um, so I, I love this stack against Black against Block. Um, excuse me, just terrible strikeout rate. I think gives up a lot of contact, and we've got a big big time upside for the Dodgers here at their price points. Uh, you can go one through four. You can get Taylor in there. You can get Seager, um, who has lefty lefty splits. We'll talk about that. I think you hit on that in one of your podcasts recently too. Um, if you want to go with Bellinger, you can. I don't know if I'll have much of him because I. Also really like Puig, I like Matt Kemp like we hit on, and then um, I like Austin Barnes, who we've talked about already too. So like, there's a lot of guys to like. Um, it just kind of is about which four you can fit in and, and feel the best about there. Have, we haven't seen a lineup on them yet, have we? No. Yeah, I've been looking, though, because I think Puig's in about third, and I think Kemp will be fifth, which is 2,800 and 2,100. And if that yeah. happens, it's pretty sweet. I can get behind that for sure. Yeah, for sure. And then, like, Seager, we've talked about this before off air, is just, like, the lefty-lefty splits he has. Yeah. People people avoid the matchup because of the lefty-lefty matchup, but, like, that's that's just money, he's, especially early in the year. He's gross, honestly. Like, he <laughs> his splits against lefties last year, this is 190 plate appearances, and that's a large enough sample for batted ball stats to normalize. But he had a 47% hard hit rate, a 38% fly ball rate, and both those are higher than what he has against righties. His 23% strikeout rate is a little bit higher, too, so the floor is not there, but he has the same upside, and people avoid him. He's only 3,500, and I think uh, Carlos Correa will justifiably carry a ton of ownership for this slate. I like Seager a lot. I actually don't mind Bellinger. He had good splits against lefties last year, too. He had a 42% hard hit rate and a 47% fly ball rate, and the good thing for Bellinger, because I'm always concerned about strikeouts with him, his strikeout rate against lefties was 24%, whereas overall, it was 27%. So he actually had a better strikeout rate against lefties than against righties. So I'm going to have some Bellinger in there. I think that the problem is he will wind up being my utility guy pretty often, and that comes at the expense of George Springer, because they're very close in price, and mm -hmm. Springer has the platoon advantage, Bellinger does not. 
But if we're talking tourneys, I do think I'll have a good amount of Bellinger in there because he can just whack it. Yeah, I really like that stack. All right, uh, we're going to call it there, wrap it up for today's podcast. Jim and uh, Brett, thank you guys so much for jumping on to record with me tonight. Why don't you uh, let the lovely listeners know where they can follow you on Twitter, Jim? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate it. I'm at Jim Sonnes on Twitter, J-I-M-S-A-N-N-E-S. Be hanging out tomorrow, talking some MLB DFS, and should be a good time. Finally getting to watch some baseball as opposed yes. to doing work, which is which is great. <laughs> I can distract myself a little bit. I'll take it. <laughs> if you are an MLB fan and somehow are not uh, following Jim, you need to fix that right now because he's one of the best MLB followers out there for sure. Uh, Brett, where can people follow you, man? You can find me at bro one for the kid. So bro one for the kid. Um, I might not be spitting out as much baseball knowledge tomorrow, but I will be sitting down with my hot dog instead of watching the game. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, go follow Brett as well. Uh, both of them are going to be putting out a lot of content for us on Number Fire this MLB season. So definitely be on the lookout for that. All right, thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the uh, change of pace. Um, as for the Hoopcast, there will not be a pod. For Thursday's action, I think there's only like five games anyway. Everybody's going to be watching baseball. Uh, But Jordan and I will be back on for Friday, so definitely check that out. But for Jim, Brett, and myself, good luck to everybody on opening day. We are out of here.